Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. And I also have an audible on the African-American athlete. Oh, that's a, a, a look at you calling audibles here. I'm yeah, Derek just threw White. that in there. Yeah, I see you. Threw okay, uh, Derek White, author of Challenge of Blackness and Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jake Gaither, Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lou. Ah, man, it is good to be back because the semester from H.E. Double Hockey Sticks is over, as as Kenny Smith said once Vince Carter won that dunk contest. Uh, it's done. Grades were submitted last week. Uh, we're done. And in a normal world, I would be even more thrilled uh, because the kids would be at school for the next six weeks and I would be off getting stuff done, researching for my next book project, whatever that is, playing basketball, hanging out. But no, no, homeschooling, homeschooling, teaching my second graders how to borrow. Apparently, they don't teach how to borrow anymore. Uh, hoping my sixth grader wakes up and does her Zoom and whatever online work she has. So that is that is my life. But but we're healthy. So so I, and we're both employed. So so I cannot complain. How about uh, you? Uh, I'm uh, you know I just finished the uh, longest semester that I've had in five years, uh, having switched from uh, quarters uh, to semesters in December. And then, of course, we that is compounded by the coronavirus uh, that emerged and ruined the second half of the semester. And I, too, am at home uh, trying to put these grades in and uh, do the final things. But I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to the end of the semester being done and uh, getting these grades in and, you know, the kids are here. I'm not doing nearly as much. My wife is doing some of the homeschooling. We're trying to split it, but it's really not a fair split, to be perfectly honest. Um, she's got like 80-20. Um, so I know maybe maybe 70-30, but probably like 80-20. I'm not going to even try to oversell what I'm doing, but you know. Um, oh, man. I'm 100%. My wife, my wife works. She's full-time, and she works from now. She's working from home. Uh, she set up our room into her little office, so I get kicked out of bed. Um, now, I wish I could sleep in. I get kicked out because she's got Zooms every every morning. I don't know how people do that. Like, I can't I can't stand, like, the work Zoom because I can't just zone off, right? Like, I'll, I'll look at the internet, and I'm like, damn, can people see me looking at the internet? <laughs> uh, I just can't. Like, it's just not for me. And she's got to do it, like, literally 8 to 5 every day. So, you know, I'm like, my schedule is, like, get up with a kid. We got a brand-new puppy, so try to deal with that. And then, you know, I think we start school around like 10 o'clock because I'm like, whatever, you guys, just watch something educational. Do that for a little bit. And then it's like PE for like three hours. Uh, <laughs> you got like, what's so, your favorite class? PE? <laughs> PE, that's yeah, it. That's no, it. We've we been go outside and we ball. Yeah. We've been fortunate. Kentucky hasn't been that hard hit. And, uh, um, you know, my, my I moved back home near my parents. And so I'm able to see them. And so we, you know, it's been, it's been a village trying to, to steer these young boys uh, into their academics, but they're doing well. Everybody's healthy. Um, so I can't complain, man. I, you know, 
My wife's a trooper. Happy Mother's Day. Right. I'm, I'm going to put that oh, on. Shoot, on, I, gotta, on the, I gotta get something. I gotta get something. So shout out on. to yeah, Amazon digital uh, gift cards. I just I just discovered that. Like I don't have to go to the store anymore. I just get the digital code and boom, I'm done. So is that what you, are you just giving her a gift card? I don't know if that's, that's I mean, what I said. I mean her birthday was like a couple weeks ago. What do I oh, gotta do? Okay, 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 okay. Fair enough. You asked me to do back to back? Like that's yeah, a lot. Yeah. Right? I mean I might you, lose my job in the might, fall. You never you might know. Have to like, edit schools this part are of closing. The, yeah. You have to edit this uh, part. Of the podcast, um, there's no edits. We're one take. We're Jay Z here. So. <laughs> Anyways, man, yeah. So it's been it's been crazy, but I'm ready for the, like to submit these grades by Monday and and get cracking. Maybe I'll read some books and do some research. Um, you know, it's hard. It's, you know, when you're you know, I just I just made full professor. So, um, damn, congrats. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. So right. it's like I don't you know the that pressure. I got a bunch of projects, but. You know, right. the the compulsion to get them done is is hard because I just finished a book. You know how that goes, right? Uh, right. And we probably me between both of us, and then you know we've got our journal of African American history for our listeners out here. Is to have a special issue that me and Lou are editing. So please submit right. uh, articles submit. by the end of the month, by the end of May, if you have a fancy <laughs> yeah. article. Um, please go to the Journal of African American History for uh, details, uh, or follow us on Twitter. And, uh, and so, yeah, we got, you know, lots of things going, a lot of things moving. So I'm excited, but you know, the real reason we're here is that, you know, the only sports happening, uh, really, I mean, besides Korean baseball, which is bad, which is on, um, <laughs> is the last dance. Right. And we've been live tweeting it along with Carl Sudler and some other, uh, Amira Rose Davis and other scholars, uh, on, uh, Sundays, but we wanted to kind of follow up and talk about a couple of things. And the big issue this week was this was the Jordan political issue episodes, oh, right? Yes. yes. Where, uh, you know, the, the, I think the climax was uh, they, the producers grappled with the quip that Jordan said in the nineties that Republicans wear sneakers too. And this was done in response. This was said in response to a request from the Harvey Gantt campaign, who was an African-American, who was the former mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, who was running for Senate against Jesse Helms. And, you know, he wanted an endorsement from Michael Jordan, who was not quite the Michael Jordan of Be Like Mike, but he was definitely Air Jordan and uh, in 1990. And the Gantt was seeking his uh, approval. And the episode was pretty, I thought, interesting. And for a couple of things, one, I'll say this before we get into our background about who Harvey Gantt was and why I think it was significant. But Jordan admitted that he said the quip. Like for a long time, he said it wasn't that he didn't say it. That it you right. Know. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I always like, I always was i mean i'm buttoning in here i was always iffy on it because it always like sam smith said it and then sam smith backtracked and i was like that's such a weird thing to actually say someone said like nobody like makes up quotes like that and put puts them publicly right so there's no lying on michael jordan right so to me there was always something there there and then like you said um he admitted it but he admits it in a last dance jordan way which is like the same thing. Like I walked into the room and everyone's doing Coke and there were girls there, not me, or this guy's cheating on his wife and he's an alcoholic, not me. He did it in this, 
I said it in jest. Like, <laughs> right. I was like, that's such a last dance. I'm going to create a 10 hour documentary, call it about the Bulls last season. And it's really about me. Uh, Michael Jordan shows up in sunglasses to say he doesn't have a gambling addiction way, um, which is a long about way of me saying that Dominique Wilkins is the greatest basketball player ever. But anyway, <laughs> back to back to this. Sorry, I cut you off and now I'm rambling. But No, 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 that's good. Uh, yeah. No, it's good. So I think that was a big, I think that was a big, I mean, a, a, like as a historian, that had always been a contested point, right? Where Jordan, uh, people who were strong Jordan fans did not believe that he was said, that he had actually said that. And then people who were in uh, historians and looked at the kind of broader context of Jordan's uh, support for political and particular black political issues, which had been very kind of um, um, behind the scenes at best. Um you know, believe that that quip uh, accurately portrayed his, you know, political philosophy, right? Like his philosophy right. towards these issues. Uh, and I think, like you said, I think it was the last dance provided us a kind of non, uh, I think a, an, an admission, but a non answer admission at the same time, right? That he was young, uh, that he didn't know, you know, he's like, I didn't know that dude, right? Like he didn't know Harvey Gantt. Right. And I think that's an important point. I think that's going to be our segue in, right? It's like he, he said he didn't know Harvey Gantt. But I think he should have known Harvey Gantt. And I'm not saying what we should, right? Like, I think this is the kind of the piece. (laughs) He should have known and we should know, right? And I think that's the, the, what we want to do here with this next 20 plus minutes is two things. What that background on Harvey Gantt and how essential he is to really post-World War II kind of double victory, but also post-Civil Rights America, making a way for Michael Jordan. And then getting in, what I want to also do is get into like kind of how low bar that was of Jordan to actually step in and say something. Because, you know, black athletes do this since the rise of Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But let's get into Gantt because I think just getting, I think in pre-show we talked about this and and I'm guilty of this. When we teach this in a class, you know, partly there's not a lot of time, but but it's like, say you use that Showtime documentary, whatever, um, what is it, Shut Up and Dribble, or you're just doing a basic lecture. It's Jordan said Republicans buy sneakers too. And there's never really a context of, of who Harvey Gantt was, right? It's just, this is what he said. Maybe you'll say Jesse Helms was racist, right? But there's never any conversation on who Harvey Gantt was. And I think Gantt, and we were talking about this in, in pre-show, can I say this? The Gant needs a biography, like oh, absolutely, a legit, like because he's honestly, and and what if Jordan steps in or not? I can't tell you he wins, but if he does win, he's there's the conversation about Barack Obama is different, right? Because Clinton wins the presidency, and it's it's possible that Gant is a VP or Gant moves up really high. Um, and we say this because. We know who Harvey Gantt was. And 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 to start his history, I'll just start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Gantt's we, we looked this up. So so Gantt is what the if I'm doing my math right, the the great the grandson, the great grandson of a, a you know, his great grandfather was a slave, right? Born in South Carolina, his grandfather's free, uh born poor, but works his way up. So born in 1875, works his way up, 1925, owns over hundred acres of land. And this is important to Gant's story, is that despite his wealth, he despite the fact that he works hard, builds everything, gets his land, his kids can't go to adequate school. 
right? They can't go to school because they're in South Carolina. I believe the closest black school is 25 miles away, right? Mm -hmm. And that burns his father who sees his dad work really hard, have all this property, but there's no opportunity for his son. Long story short, this is what his dad is pushing for, for, for Harvey Gantt. So Harvey Gantt is a, is a World War II baby. Some people call him uh, baby boomers. Today, we, people call them, unfortunately, boomers. But really, for us, it's a double victory baby, right? Mm-hmm. And Gantt's life is double victory. Um, and one of those victories is actually in sports. Um, we have a black athlete podcast, and Harvey Gantt was black athlete. He was quarterback, uh, the star quarterback on his local high school team. Um, his dad, in fact, fought for his uh, son's team to be able to play um, at this very new public high school, uh, or the Citadel uh, built a public complex for sports. And uh, at first, black schools weren't allowed to do it, but his dad took up the fight, and all of a sudden, black schools were allowed to play on this this new uh, football field. And instead of playing on Friday nights, we've talked about this in another podcast, what most Southern blacks did was play on Thursday, Thursday night so they can right. use the white fields, right? And so that's Gant's uh, background. And Derek, after Gant graduates high school, he's second in his class. He's class president. He goes on to... He goes to Iowa State, right? And, and the reason he goes to Iowa State is a, a couple of reasons. One is that he wanted to go to school. At, he wanted to be a, a, a pathbreaker in the state of South Carolina, and he wanted to attend Clemson. Uh, but the state would not allow him to, and there was a series of court decisions. And so what a lot of Southern states did in those days, and this was pretty popular, uh, even in, in, at times, even illegal by the time Gann gets there, is that they will find miraculous scholarships to send these talented black students right. uh, out of state, right? right. <laughs> and that way they don't become their problem anymore. Um, Can I and, butt in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. For our listeners, that's uh, that was supposed to be illegal if I'm if I'm I haven't taught in a while with my Gaines v. Canada, right? 1937 yes. in law school, right? So for all those listeners, Gaines v. Canada was supposed to make that. It's about Missouri, a black student wanted to go to a school, uh, Missouri Law School, but they were finding scholarships for black students to go outside of the state and the Supreme court ruled said you can't do that. But, and then Gaines miraculously disappeared. Uh, sorry to cut you off back to Gant at Iowa state. So he, yeah, no, that's fair. As, I, I'm glad you, this is, uh, this is why we double team these history, right. uh, uh, this podcast. Oop, there it is. We tag right. teamed it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he goes to Iowa state and, um, he goes there and he does, you know, does exceptionally well. It's extremely lonely, right? Um, Iowa is one of these interesting stories. Uh, both I- University of Iowa and Iowa State had a number of African American students uh, in the years and the two decades after World War II, in particular, uh, going all the way back to the '30s, they had athletes uh, at both institutions, and so. Um, but you know, being from South Carolina, it was a lonely experience, and at the same time, there's a lawsuit against uh, uh, Clemson. Uh, to allow him to attend. Uh, they successfully win this um, uh, this lawsuit that allows him to attend C- Clemson beginning in January of 1963. Uh, and so he is the first African-American student at uh, Clemson University. And he, he goes there. And one of the interesting things I was reading, you know, in the prep for this is there's an oral history at the University of North Carolina uh, with him, uh, Harvey Gantt from about the ni- mid-1980s. And in it, he talks about, you know, the, the questionnaire is like, you know, what was it like being at Clemson? And he was like, you know, actually, Clemson is really black. 
And the interviewer is kind of shocked, right? And what he pointed out was that he was like, you know, all the groundskeepers, all the janitorial service, the cafeteria folks, all those folks were African-American and Black, and they were all looking out for his best interest. So he talked about how when he went to the cafeteria line, the lady made sure he got enough food, right? Like the people were saying they were rooting for him and checking in on him. So they were making sure that he um, had a good experience. And it turns out that he was able to win over a lot of students. He had very few issues uh, with students. It was not a, a situation like Old Miss uh, where the students are rioting. Um, and he speaks very highly of his, his time at, at Clemson. Uh, and from there, he goes on uh, to uh, – he gets a, a degree in architecture, and he re- almost immediately moves to Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. Um, real quick, let me back up because you 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 mentioned that he went to Iowa State, and we talked about black athletes there, right? I believe Duke Slater was at Iowa, but Iowa State's football stadium today is named after a black athlete, uh, Jack Trice, who who mm-hmm. was uh, I believe is their first black players killed in game against Minnesota, uh, nineteen twenty three. So there is that again. Uh, That's what we do at the Black Athlete. We just bring you that that small little information there that that you can <laughs> use in your everyday life, but. But um, the other thing about Clemson, as you mentioned, he wanted to be an architect, right? And 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 that's the school. And this is what we, whether you're talking about James Meredith at, at Mississippi or, or these other pioneers, what they say about about being like the pioneers, not necessarily you want to be the pioneer. It's that look, this school has something that my other school, you know, South Carolina State doesn't offer, right? right. And I want to be an architect, and I should be able to be in my home state. Right exactly. and be the architect, and it's and one of the fascinating things about you know his days at Clemson is that he does, uh, you know, there's there's protests, and I've put this off on my Twitter before where people have Confederate flags protesting it, but he, like he said, like he's he's well liked and obviously well liked in uh, in this sense is, is nineteen sixty five right. terms, right? Yeah, right. well liked, right? <laughs> um, but one of the white people, if I believe I get this right, that he meets at um, later on in life uh, when he moves to Charlotte is going to help him with Soul City, and we'll talk about that in a second. But so he graduates Clemson's, and then when he goes to Charlotte to work as like kind of this intern in an architecture firm before he goes to MIT, he's the first black architecture official in charlotte right so here's the guy who's the integrates clemson mm-hmm. right um which is built on uh if, if i am i correct john c calhoun's old plantation property yeah um so he integrates clemson and then in the city of Charlotte, he's the first architecture goes to mit right uh mm-hmm. so he does it comes back and then he becomes the lead planner for soul city there, mm. you have a book on Black Power. What was Soul City? Soul City was an uh, an attempt uh, led by uh, Floyd McKissick, who was the former director of CORE, uh, Congress of Racial Equality, to create an all-Black town to give um, African Americans kind of electoral and political and social political power uh, in creating their own space and their own city, right? And this was done in, in, in what makes Soul City so unique and interesting, at least, is that this was done with the support of uh, the state of North Carolina. This was done. Uh, Richard Nixon was uh, saw this as a ve- vehicle of black capitalism. Okay. Uh, he got HUD funding. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Uh, so, and they yeah. and they built this in Warren County, North Carolina, which was an old, uh, which is actually part of the Black Belt of North Carolina. Um, 
where um, you know Af- the African American population uh, and you know goes back uh, you know was over fifty percent for much of uh, the twentieth century, and so this old kind of rural area in North Carolina uh, without a lot of commerce and a lot of industry uh, is now the site for uh, this attempt to create a kind of uh, a, a black owned black planned city, black owned and planned and ran city. Uh, this uh, does not, you know, is not successful for a number of reasons, uh, including funding, but also let people not trying to move to Warren County, uh, North Carolina, um, vis-a-vis Durham or Raleigh or Charlotte or even Wilmington out on the coast. Um, and so uh, it, flaw- is a fi- it, it, it kind of falls apart, but it is really kind of one of the real kind of legacies when we talk about black power uh, and then black power politics in terms of creating uh, self-determination. Right. And when you read about these plans, so um, there's plans out there and I'm reading them from 71 and, and 80s kind of where you get the sense, late 70s where you get the sense that it's failing. But if you read that new book, uh, Race for Profit, you kind of understand why it's failing. It's just that the federal government's just kind of done, right, with these 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 HUD projects and 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 stuff like that. But but it's an amazing thing, right? Where they're like, you know, they're talking, hey, we're gonna build these high rises because these young black folks who are moving up, right? They don't want to be this suburban lifestyle. They want to live in the high rises. So so you know GAN is planning this out. Right. This is mm-hmm. this road. This is what Liberty Street's going to look like. This is what Independent Street's going to look like. We're going to get these water plans. We're getting federal money now. Now McKissick is the driving force, right? He's the name. But what's so amazing, and this is why we talked about this here. Again, when Jordan declines, so far here we're at to to speak up for Harvey Gantt. Here we are, first black student at Clemson, right? First black architecture, or in Charlotte, he's the lead planner of soul city. And this is just up until the 1970s, right? Early seventies when he's like 20, I think when he gets that job, he's like 25 or something like that. He's mm-hmm. 28. He's young. Yeah. And then he, and then in the mid seventies at the same time, he's working on this. He becomes part of the city council of Charlotte. Now Charlotte has, it's a, it's, it's a, has a black population, but only has one city council. And one of the guys left, I believe, to go into Congress. And so they replaced it with Harvey Gantt. So by his mid-20s, right, he's lived this full, <laughs> right. complete life, right? In the new, and, and I want to emphasize, in the new, and what, what, what they want to see in Charlotte as themselves, as, as the new South. Right. And then in 79, he runs to be the mayor. He loses his 79, but even like he's getting traction and then in 83, he becomes the first black mayor in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting to me, and this is where we're getting at with, I want to, I want to kind of set this up because he's on his, on the verge of being really the, the Michael Jordan politicians minus, minus right. The, uh, the endorsements. But what I mean by that is this kind of crossover star. Yes. Because his he's only two term mayor. He loses his third term, but it's his second term where we see this crossover appeal. He's attracting white voters. He's attracting white Republican voters. Like he's so popular after his first term that you can't get a challenger, like a, a named a big time Republican, to challenge him because they know he'll lose. And he's able to flip, you know, counties that are, are suburban areas that are ninety percent white. He's able to to get them in. And in fact. There's this piece in Ebony that we are looking at that essentially says that whites don't see him as 
black, right? They see him mm-hmm. as someone who just happens to be black. And that's the same stuff, type of stuff we'll start to hear about Jordan, right? That's the whole thing that you hear about Jordan, that he's black, but he's not like, we talk about um, what do the right thing. I don't think they bring up Michael Jordan, do the right thing, right? Where a uh, dude's like, he's black, but he's not black, black, right? Yeah. But that's how white folks are seeing Jordan. That's how white Southerners are starting to see Harvey Gantt in the mid-1980s. And I think it's interesting, too, because I think it's important to understand, like, this is Charlotte, right? Like, Charlotte is making this move to be one of the three or four key southern cities, right? And right. and with, with this, the, with Black political representation, right? And so, you you know, it's Atlanta. Uh, Maynard Jackson wins the mayor there in 1973, uh, you should always read uh, our, our friend friend of the podcast, uh, Maurice Hobson's uh, Legend of the Black Mecca, which really outlines Maynard right. Jackson's and the and the politics of Atlanta. We hung out with him in Cincinnati. Excuse me. Yes, yeah, I hung yes, out yes, with yeah. him in Cincinnati at Asala, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. He was yeah. That's uh-huh. been a while, but go ahead. Sorry. You know, that's all right. And then, you know, the other cities are Houston, uh, mm-hmm. Houston, Texas, and New Orleans, right? And 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 each of those cities, uh, and, and those three cities in particular, are trying to use sports as selling, as part of this selling platform, right? And so uh, we've talked about this on the pod before, New Orleans. It's in hey, somebody's book. I don't know whose book it is, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's my book? Oh my gosh, it's my book. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in somebody's book. It's your book. <laughs> but Charlotte's part of this this swing, right? And and Harvey Gantt, in many ways, is 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 the next big black politician to emerge, right? Because one of the things that I think separates him is that the Soul City experiment does not get him the tag of being a black nationalist, right? Like right, he, that's a, that trips me out, by the yeah, way. That yeah, didn't. Yeah. But he gets the tag of being kind of very pragmatic and and using his skills as an architect on behalf of Soul City, as opposed to being Floyd McKissick, who's seen as a black, who was a black nationalist uh, and had the kind of political, um, uh, you know, fallout from that uh, political philosophy. But but Gant doesn't is not tagged with that, right? Like you said, like he's winning these Republican areas, these suburbs of Charlotte. He's transforming Charlotte. He's like Maynard Jackson. He's building up the airport, um, and he's doing this. And he loses a surprise. He wins two terms, four years, and he loses a surprise election where his challenger is this woman who they uh, that the Republicans thought didn't have a snowball's chance. And no her, chance. Right. Her biggest critique was that the traffic in Charlotte was bad. <laughs> Too and, much traffic, and he's a Democrat. He might raise your taxes, right? So. And, like, oh. and that was enough to for, that was enough. Yeah. That was enough to will pull out a victory where he lost by I think it was less than a thousand votes. I feel it was like it less was. than a thousand. It was like a, I would have been demanding like a recount, but he just conceded, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah. But one of the things we talk about this real quick, we we'll back up this new south. He's integral to Charlotte becoming a new south because he's the mayor when they have their bid for the NBA city. Right? Mm-hmm. He's the mayor when they start building before they even have an NBA team, and we can. Oh, it's a whole nother conversation to talk about bonds and, and what that does to your city. Uh, they're building an arena right <laughs> before they even have a team, right? To right. show the NBA. And it's a small, like I'm looking at those numbers and like, it's a small market then. And they knew it, but it's what they're trying to sell. It's the South, right? Mm-hmm. It's the new South. And this is what they're trying to get the NBA to tap into. Because if I'm not mistaken, the NBA only has Atlanta at that time. Right, like New Orleans is a bust as a as a basketball city at that time, and yeah, it's remains. They got Zion now, 
Um, but before that, they had Pistol Pete. They literally brought in a White Hope just to save the city, and that didn't work. Right. Um, but the other teams that are are fighting for an NBA team at that time are, I believe, uh, the T Wolves, right? Minnesota, Miami, uh, Orlando, Miami, and then I think does Vancouver come in, or does that come in later? I feel like Vancouver's in that initial thing because I feel like Something Vancouver. There, right. I feel like Vancouver and Minnesota are in at the same time. But right. you know, somebody who, uh, as we say, friends of the pod, uh, check that, check that, check data. that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but well, Minnesota's in because Rick Mahorn goes there, right? And everything falls apart for the Pistons. That's oh yeah, that's the main reason, right? <laughs> um, and just just let me just throw this in: Michael Jordan doesn't win a championship until the NBA expands. But whatever. Uh, I just think expansion means less talent there. I'll say it, but this is, this is who <laughs> getting back to Gant. This is who Gant is. Gant is this guy who's the face of that, right? We talk about the building up at that airport. They get mm-hmm. a direct flight to London. Right. And so he should have been untouchable, right? He makes, you know, Charlotte what it is. Like today we see Charlotte as this kind of booming Southern city. And part of that is Gant who's, who's the face, who's the mayor of bringing in, um, you know, helping to bring in the franchise, right? He's mm-hmm. going to New York to talk to David Stern with with other power brokers. Eventually, they're going to get a football team, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so the way, as we talked about this before, the way Southern cities use sports is to show that they're modern. They're not a quote-unquote Southern city in the South, right? They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're Charlotte, right? We, you know, race doesn't become a factor here where you know we have the hornets um and jordan will eventually own this team but but anyway so this is who he is he loses in 87 it's clear that he's not done yet and then in 1990 this is where we're getting to uh with gant and this is the controversy so so in 1990 gant uh licks his wounds from this upset that he had two years earlier three years earlier and he decides to run for jesse helms senate seat and jesse helms had went to the senate in 1973 i believe uh as a right-wing uh conservative in many ways he is the model of modern conservatism uh he begets his his start in media the television and radio in raleigh north carolina and he is an arch conservative, uh, you know, uh, opposing the civil rights movement, uh, calling them co- calling it communist inspired. Uh, and he's able to uh, in many ways, he's able to use the um, uh, the the non race, right, racial uh, uh, uh coded language, right? Like he uses this <laughs> racial coded language where everybody knows it's about communists. It's about, he was against homosexuality. He, you know, he did this to rile up his base. Uh, and he becomes a very powerful Senator by 1990 because he's, uh, because of his seniority. And, uh, and, and Gantt, uh, as the demographics in North Carolina begin to change, uh, as it becomes in in some ways progressive, right? The, the as as Charlotte grows, right? It, it it challenges the dominance of of Western North Carolina, which is really kind of the base of uh, Jesse Helms. And so Gant's in there, and and let's and I want us to understand that like Helms, and, and you know this I've said that we talked about this in the pre uh, in the pre show, uh, you know that. Gant goes to Michael Jordan for an endorsement in this race that he know is he knows is going to be tight, right? right? That that we looked at the pre polls, and a lot of those polls had Harvey Gant in the lead, one right, right? Uh, but they only had him in the lead by a couple of points and just outside the margin of error. 
And and so he's doing this and he's asking Michael Jordan to come on and support his campaign as a way to reassure white voters. <laughs> that's what I think that's about, right? Like <laughs> it's it's the white voters, right? Because I think if we're looking at these pre-polls, like the idea was I think he winds up getting like low 30s, maybe mid 30s of the of the white vote, right? Mm-hmm. But the belief is that for him to win, he has to get 40 uh, percent of the white votes. Now we know the black vote, and this is we could, we, the black votes sewed up, right? Like they they get, uh, you know the, I, what is it about in that race? About sixty percent is a high turnout. Sixty percent of and voters in general right. in North Carolina, right? It's very high turnout. Uh, Pre polls, he was at ninety three percent black vote, which is, which is crazy to think that there's seventy seven percent seven percent of black votes voters and i think that just might be like yeah maybe they don't want to say as you said before you know they're, they're just being stereotypical and vote for the black guy but but i think that's the thing and we and i brought this up before as as mike jordan or gant as this kind of mike jordan figure that ebony magazine says some white white see him as black but not black right he just happens to be black and I think, look, you know you're going to get high 90s, 90% of the black vote. That's done, right? right. And, and what you're you, trying – yeah, go ahead. No, no. And you're tapping into Michael Jordan as the most favored son of the University of North Carolina, right? Like, most favorite. He hit the shot. Right. You know, when, like, so, when you're mayor, when does he hit the shot? 82? Yeah. 83? Next year you become mayor. So it all works out. Uh, but it's like it's, – it's, that's what he wanted, right? To, to to become this kind of very safe because Gantt's trajectory is he's like this pioneer who's a black pioneer, but people right don't necessarily see him as 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 like black power black, right? As right. like in your face black, right? Or even Jesse he's, Jackson he's, black, right? Just Jesse Black. He's more digestible if that's if I don't know if that works, if lack of a better term, I've been drinking a little bit, uh a little ten percent uh AVC. <laughs> Uh, it's a peanut butter, a barrel aged peanut butter. Uh, by the way, if anyone's interested, it's pretty good. Uh, anyway, anyway, but that's 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 the pull for Michael Jordan, right? Is is to pick out those white voters. Jesse Helms makes this a black white race where I don't think Gantt was ready. Expect he he obviously expected it, but that's not Gantt's winning. Gantt's not winning black white races, right? Gantt is this kind of race neutral black guy if that makes sense yeah jordan fits that bill jordan would get those white voters out who and and whenever we talk black politicians and white voters you have to realize there's that as they say that tom bradley effect who who runs for governor of california in the 70s mm-hmm. and it looks like he's gonna win but when it comes to the polls white voters vote for the other guy right they might yeah. say i'm a vote for kent or they might say i'm undecided he didn't get any of those undecided voters if you look at like we're looking at these poll numbers and they're just not saying to the pollster's face, right? So you need somebody like a Mike Jordan to get those white voters out. Who's race neutral, right? Like who's, who's safe, yeah. right? Like, and I who's think that's safe, the one yeah. thing that, you know, and so, th- you know, and so, you know, we got about five more minutes and I, before we go, I want to say a couple of things about this Jesse Helms thing, because one of the things that Jesse Helms had done is he had p- positioned himself as, you know, an arch conservative in the nineties. In many ways, he's a throwback. He's as close to George Wallace. Yeah. Uh, Anti MLK. Right. Like, you know, yeah. and so in the, in 83, for instance, 
he comes out against the King Holiday. And that's not unusual. There were a number of Republicans that opposed the holiday, including Ronald Reagan. But by 1983, uh, Coretta Scott King and folks who supported uh, the King holiday had swayed the country and swayed the politicians that King deserved a holiday. And so it was pretty much all sewn up by then. But but it goes, it passes, it easily passes the House of Representatives and it goes to the Senate for, for uh, a vote in 83. And Jesse Helms gets up and filibusters it. And he gets up and calls King on the floor of the Senate. Uh, you know, um, uh, he says uh, that King espoused action-oriented Marxism, and that he was a Marxist-Leninist. Um, and and in doing this, that he was rebuked by uh, obviously by Democrats. Ted Kennedy jumps up and and rebukes his colleague in the Senate, but he's also rebuked by a number of Republicans. Bob Dole and others are like, "Look, you know, we've already already hashed this out over a number of years and in committee, and there's no use you over here doing this." And so they actually vote to 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 um, for cloture, which means that he they end his ability to fil- filibuster this thing. But this is like a huge deal, right? I mean, it's such a big deal that even by 1990, right, the state of Arizona um, is in trouble with hosting the, fut- the, the Super Bowl and the All-Star game because Arizona won't um, – won't ratify and support as a state Martin Luther King holiday. So the NBA is already on the front line and taking on some issues that, that Jesse Helms had proven to be on the other side. Uh, and then in the race uh, against Gantt, uh, the two men never debated. Uh, Helms used all kinds of uh, flyers and campaign mailings that painted uh, Harvey Gantt as not as race neutral, but painted him as Marion Barry or uh, Jesse Jackson and painted him with people whose reputation amongst those white moderates uh, were not as uh, pristine as Harvey Gantt's. And so Michael Jordan had a particular kind of role. That endorsement was a role to counter that he still needed, you know, this most popular favorite son of North Carolina, but also as a person who's race neutral, that everyone loved that this is the person to move North Carolina into the future, right? That's what's the ask. And this is a low ask, right? It's a very low ask. This is a low ask, right? And and it's not unprecedented. You talk about this in your book, um, that... Politician, I mean, uh, that black athletes had supported a number of politicians on both sides of the aisle. Both sides of the Republican, right, right, Republican, Democrat, mainly Republican until mid 60s, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. so 60, you have like Hank Aaron and like, and some guys uh, coming JFK, but it's still, you know, Jackie's the big voice. Jackie's the ask, Right. right? Like Jackie's in that election between Nixon and uh, JFK and he goes Nixon and so JFK is like ah, well there's this Martin Luther King guy we'll we'll try to get into uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but and, you know really since the rise I brought it before since Owens and Lewis where where black athletes get asked to to tout the candidate but here's the difference between Jordan and I think this is what's key for Jordan and look it's a low ask it's a low bar to just support the guy who has this long history of success in politics and business going against the known races. But all these other black athletes called political patsies really were asked to get out the black vote, right? It's a white, it's a white guy asking 
the black athlete to get the black folk. Cause that's how they see it. Right. That's their mm-hmm. connection with the black community. It's the actor. It's the entertainer. Right. What's different is, is this is a black guy running for the U S Senate. He, he would have been the first since uh, Brooks, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which, am I right, or is there yeah. another one? At? He'd have been the first uh, in the South, probably since Reconstruction. First in the South since Reconstruction, right? Now it's a uh, dude from—is it uh, what's his name? Tim Scott, brother from Tim Scott uh, from South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. So this is how important this ask is. So it's a black politician running the Senate against a racist, but it's really too. The first time you're really asking a black athlete to, in my opinion, to get out the white vote, right? Mm-hmm. To not necessarily get out the white vote, but get the white voters to kind of swing your way without saying that. Now, we could be wrong. It might be about getting that black vote, which may be a higher turnout, but it's already a high turnout race. Right. Right. I really, truly believe it is that face of Jordan. Right. And Jordan's ask and what he says is Republicans buy sneakers too. And it's disappointing. He gives money and right? he, he funnels money. He Booker T. Washington's it. Uh, <laughs> but he funnels the money. And if you could funnel the money, you could just simply say, hey, I support this guy. But see, here's the catch, right? And this is a thing, right? And I think there's two ways to think about this, right? That the one is that he gives this money and this money is used to buy ads, which is what they wanted him to do in the first place. So he could have just given his name, right? Like, I think that's really the key piece, right? That's the first piece. The second piece is, you know, to 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 take Jordan's perspective in this situation that one, he's like 27 years old. Right. He's he's you know, he's a guy who's spent the last, you know, we could argue that his time at North Carolina, much of it was spent uh, playing basketball. Right. Um, and at this end and that he had developed this really, I think very crafted image. And I think this is what the last dance I think confirms and also shows very well that he was very concerned about his image, right? Like when he's trapped in the, the hotel room and he's talking about, you know, you don't want my life because I can't go yeah. outside because he's crafted yeah. this image that's turned into a kind of a cage. And this is really at the beginning of this process. The other part is, you know, Gant could have asked, you know, Dean Smith, or he could have asked someone else to give an endorsement, right? I think that would have, you know, swayed, maybe been more influential. We don't know. I think this is why we need a biography of Gant, right? Like who else was in the ask beyond, right? (laughs) Beyond, um, beyond Michael Jordan. But he felt like, you know, that he had an inside connection with uh, Michael Jordan uh, through because obviously his mother had made the ask, right, uh, to, to Michael to come and support right. him and he didn't do it. And so it's an interesting moment. Right. And, and maybe he feels like Weiss don't care what he has to say and he doesn't want to bust that, you know, that facade that is going to be that's extremely lucrative. Uh, that leads to him, you know, what he sees as owning the team, right? I think, you know, it's hard because he doesn't give us a lot of window into thinking. And the thing that was most disappointing is that while he copped to, while he, ag- he admitted to saying the Republicans buy sneakers too, he doesn't admit that he was wrong. Right. He just says, or, yeah. or he doesn't admit he was right. He doesn't, he right. just, he just cops to it. And he's like, let's move on. Like to me, I've been much more interested in thinking about like, what do you see as a, you know, given Jesse Helms's proclivities and politics, what have you learned in the three decades since 
right? Right. right. <laughs> that has now like, man, I wish my, you know, 57-year-old self would go back to my 20-year-old self and say, this is such a small ass that could really have transformed the country in a very different kind of way. Right. Because I think he was, he he stepped up for, if I'm not wrong, for Obama the second time around, right? Like, and mm. a lot of these, I yeah, think, I and then he's given, and that kind of, and that kind of BLM moment, he gave money to like- Both sides. The, <laughs> both sides, <laughs> the NAACP yes. and the cops. I don't know. I don't know what that was about, like a million each, right? Out of his yeah. billions. But but so he's like, I think there's this, that's the lingering effect of like Republicans buy sneakers too. But that's like 30 years down the line, if my math is correct, almost 30 years down the line. And you're right. There's not, look, if you're going to write a 10 hour, if you got a 10 hour doc, right? About yourself, like just address it and move it. Look, people think you're the greatest. I don't, it's Dominique, but still everyone else does. Like just, just, just give us what, you know, what we're asking for. Um, but yeah, no, the thing is that we talked about this and we tweeted it, that it's disappointed, right? And I know some folks say, well, they don't ask Larry Bird this or or they don't ask Magic. You know, Magic did his own thing, right? Magic Magic actually does get involved um, after the riots, right? Now, he mm-hmm. doesn't get involved when Craig Hodges, you know, Craig Hodges asked Magic and Michael to boycott the the that series, the uh after the uh, beating that right. was at 91 of Rodney right. King, but magic uh, from what I read, he, you know, he talks to an advisor and like how to get, get stuff done. And he goes that, that green power route, right? That's the, yeah. that's the magic Johnson route. And and we could talk about that and this difference, right? Magic's green power is not really like recycling black dollars in the community. It's just a black face kind of, and, and white private owners owning spaces and Starbucks and stuff like that. Right. But that was magic, right? Trying to get involved in here. Uh, but Ma- Michael had this, just the simple, simple, simple thing to do. Um, you know, the biggest name and one of the biggest names in sports, right? They already, and that's what the beauty of the last dance is. They built you up this way. I, I had no clue that tennis stars were that big. Uh, they, they took this team player, made him an individual. And you had, you know, you're young, but still, you're North Carolina young. You've gone through it. You've gone through the politics. You know what to do. Your mom asked you. Harvey Gantt asked you. And he's still like, yeah. And I think that's that's a bad look. Um, and I, I think there's no nuance in that, right? When people try to present a, a conversation of nuance. Well, he could have done this, could have done this. I get it. I don't get it. Um, because we know who Jesse Helms was. Well, I think that's also too. And I think that this is, you know, I was we were listening. I was listening to uh, Bomani Jones's podcast, which I also recommend as well on this subject. And, you know, it's like, it's different. It's a different kind of frame for, for black folks like us. We understand what the ask is, right? We understand what the significance is. And this is, this is in some ways, this man who has a resume, uh, in, uh, in a non-athletic resume that mirrors your own. Right. Right. Like, as you pointed out, like he's a guy, he's a pioneer, right? Like this dude is like, you know, winning at every level. And this is an opportunity to really put him on the path to the presidency, to be perfectly honest, right? At least to run for president. And, you know, this loss, you know, when you combine the law, the upset loss for mayor and then the upset and then the loss to Jesse Helms, it really knocks him off course in terms of his political trajectory. And I think that, that, you know, does Jordan, does Jordan endorsement make a difference? We don't know, right? We can't, you know, it's like, there's no way to measure, uh, an unknown in this case, but I do think that the uh, the that if you were worried, if he was worried about losing 
supporters of Jesse Helms? Like, why is he so concerned about them? Because they don't yeah, really like, yeah. they, right? Like, that's the point. Not just Republicans is like who Jesse Helms represented. Yeah, like represent. there are other Republicans who were also appalled at Jesse Helms, right? That's why right. you know that's why Harvey Gann had gained so much support in Charlotte, right? So, like, part of it is is that if you could not use your name in opposition to someone as polar as racist as, as racist and racially polarizing as Jesse Helms then what's the point of having the name right besides the money right, right like i right. mean like and, it, like because in this case you know the cash doesn't rule everything right like at some point it doesn't did you just start wu-tang yeah absolutely almost 50 minutes into the segment yeah, yeah. yeah. no yes, it doesn't absolutely. right no you're absolutely right and look We've seen it doesn't like we we know that it does sometimes it doesn't sway the voters right LeBron came out for Beto that doesn't work LeBron came out for Hillary that doesn't work um, but it's just like you know this is just a entirely different circumstance and I and I think we want to get back to just reemphasizing who Harvey Gantt was right this is just is not just I think he's such a footnote um, and right but I think what we try to do is 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 make him the the, the center point, right? He is the the thesis in, in what we're trying to do here. He's so integral. His life is so interesting and he, he like deserves a biography, right? Like a real biography. And you're right. He is, he's on that VP president track. Yes. Right? If he wins it, that's how big he was. Um, and I think it's important to, to, to keep that in mind whenever you, we, from now on, whenever we do that, Michael Jordan, Republicans buy sneakers too is to, is to keep in mind how big uh, and how much potential Harvey Gantt had um, because he was if my I mean he's low forties right he's not pushing fifty yet right yeah, so he no. has um, I mean maybe he's high forties right he's four he's born in forty three so yeah like, right forty seven years old yeah. right so he's not right so nah his his trajectory is just. Um, and then things change. But no, that's what we wanted to do. Um, we're at 50 minutes, man. So yeah, let's wrap it up right here. Let's wrap it up. Uh, we are... What? Go I, ahead. No, we're out. We're out. We're out. <laughs> so last thing to say, there's, not, there's no sports on TV, so we got nothing else. Uh, on that note, peace. Peace. <laughs>